It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What if you could have one polo that does it all? The Zinna from Travis Matthew is that perfect polo. Constructed with elevated fabrics that look and feel better than the average shirt, the Zinna is Travis Matthew's most comfortable and versatile polo. The Zinna delivers everything you need, no matter the occasion. Visit travismatthew.com slash podcast today for 20% off your next purchase when you use the code podcast20 at checkout. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-M-A-T-H-E-W dot com slash podcast with the code podcast20 for 20% off. What's going on, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Blue Jays. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Lucas Suisse. We have a busy Monday episode for you listeners, but I just want to first of all say thank you so much to all the listeners who make Locked On Blue Jays your first listen of the day. Of course, you can find my work on Twitter at We Sports, where I appear in Sportsnet, ESPN's The Undefeated, the Toronto Star, as well as play-by-play broadcasting for Saga 960 AM Radio. Of course, Lockdown Blue Jays is free and available on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As I said off the top, we have a very busy episode. We're going to be welcoming in Kevin Weiss later on the show. He's the co-host of the Locked On Rays podcast. It'll be our first crossover pod where we bring some of our Locked On co-hosting colleagues in to chat about the division and, and the teams and all that fun stuff. But first, let me talk to you about Direct TV. Yes, once again, this episode brought to you by Direct TV. Now, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. This episode is brought to you by Brex. Disrupt the industry? Banish mediocrity and take big chances. But first, take advantage of Brex. They help you get a corporate card with higher credit limits, no personal guarantee, and best-in-class rewards. Plus, you'll receive easy expense tracking and no fee wires and payments. See why Brex is the card of choice. To get started today, visit brex.com slash Spotify. All right, we're back on this edition of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast. I'm Lucas Suisse. That's MLB analyst Jen Smith. And as I said off the top, we are joined by a very special guest on this edition of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast. He is Kevin Weiss. He is the co-host of the Locked On Rays podcast as part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Kevin, welcome to the crossover edition of Lockdown Blue Jays. How you doing, man? Doing well. Uh, thank you, Lucas and Jen, for having me on. Uh, I'm kind of aching for more baseball. <laughs> It's crazy that the season's over, and I wish that the Rays, a lot of people in our part uh, of uh, the U.S. wish that the Rays made it a little bit further, but there's always next year. There's always next year. It's what they always say, and, and they mm-hmm. also all always say that it's so close to pitchers and catchers uh, 
reporting to spring training. But, um, but listen, Kevin, I mean, we're really excited to have you on, um, you know, as part of, you know, our crossover episodes that we're doing um, o- o- over the off season. And obviously the Tampa Bay Rays are such a fascinating team from the Blue Jays perspective, because they were the team that the Blue Jays were looking up to the majority of the season in the AL East. And when you look, the Rays, of course, finished with 100 wins, AL East uh, division champs. But obviously a short postseason appearance before they lose uh, to the Boston Red Sox in the ALDS. So big picture from your perspective, Kevin, like how would you evaluate this season uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays? Yeah, that's a really good question there. I would say they definitely exceeded expectations in the regular season because, I mean, if you look at some of the prognostications heading into 2021, some people expected and some outlets expected the Rays to finish as low as third or fourth in the division after the letting go of Charlie Morton and the trade of Blake Snell and uh, how much the Rays had to do to pull things together. But I would say they exceeded expectations in the regular season and then underwhelmed in the postseason because again, this was the team that finished the regular season with the best record in the American league. They set a franchise record and run score. They had one of the best ERAs in baseball. They were, I mean, kind of on a roll for a little bit there and to see it just kind of collapse in four games in the ALDS was really disappointing, especially where, you know, game one of the ALDS where they won five zero and it was one of the more dominating victories you could expect. And then they were up, I mean, five, two at home in game two. And then, uh, the Red Sox said, no, thank you. And ended up winning that game 14 to six. And that kind of did the raise in. So it had looked, you know, through the first, one and a half games of the postseason, like, man, could this team get to the World Series again and maybe win the World Series? But, um, and, and that's kind of, it was like, wow, that really just happened. Or it was just sort of an epic collapse in the postseason. But that's what happens with postseason baseball. A couple of bad calls, a couple of bad plays, uh, and and things can change on a, on a dime. Unfortunately, you don't have a, a best of seven or a best of 10 or a best of 15 or a best of... 21 in, in the postseason where you could really kind of see, are the Rays legitimately a better team than the Red Sox? And, and it just wasn't meant to be this year. Kevin, you mentioned the talent that this Rays team had last season. And, you know, for a really long part of the season, the Blue Jays were the first in the major leagues in terms of run differential. And then the Rays ended up surpassing them and finished fourth in, in that category and so I'm wondering from what your perspective, you know, what accounted for that? Who really stood out to you in 2021? Yeah, that's a great question. There were so many players that emerged and had career years. You look at a guy like Mike Zanino, who uh, the Rays actually just picked up his $7 million option. So he's going to be returning. I mean, he was one of the best sluggers from the catching position. No, Nobody really expected him to have uh, a 5-5 uh, a five, five, nine slug and 33 home runs, nor did they expect, you know, Brandon Lau to stay healthy for a full season and to hit 39 home runs from the second base spot. But I think what really helped, you know, this team, the Rays, they're, they're kind of leaning into the approach of 
three true outcomes, home runs, walks, and strikeouts. And you can see that in the numbers and the statistics that they bring to the table. But they're also a pretty athletic team, too. So they they really make a point to steal bases when the opportunity presents itself or to take the extra bag, whether that's going first to third, sometimes first to home, second to home. So they do have some athletes, which really helps with the uh, run scored and, and everything that's tied into that. But um, you talk about, you know, what allowed the the Rays to kind of bring up or improve their run differential. Of course, they did add Nelson Cruz at the trade deadline or right before the trade deadline. And that that beefed up the lineup a little bit. Now, he was a little bit, I guess, disappointing, didn't quite live up to the expectations that we had seen from him with the twins, but he still struck fear in his presence, still probably helped elevate the play of others within the lineup. And then Wander Franco, this guy is, I mean, I would not be surprised if next season, the year after, if he's starting to be in the conversation for MVP, because he, when he was called up, in June, he it took him some time to settle in. It took him about a month, couple months to to really settle in and find his footing against major league pitching, high velocity pitching, some of the uh, nasty breaking balls that you see at the big league level compared to single A or triple A. But the last couple months of the season, he was just on a tear. You look at the the on base streak he had. You look at the ability to not strike out and and take what the pitchers give him. I mean, he finished. By the end of the year, he had uh, the highest batting average on the team. This is a guy that's 20 years old. So his presence, his emergence really changed the complexion of this roster down the stretch. And it continued in the playoffs. I mean, he was the, for all intents and purposes, the most productive Rays offensive player in the playoffs. So I just can't imagine what he's going to be able to provide in 2022 and beyond. I mean, we just saw a 70 game sample size. Um, if he's able, what, what we can see in 150 games where he kind of maybe finds his power stroke a little bit more and improves, he is a switch hitter and maybe improves from the the left side of the plate a little bit. I mean, the sky is the limit for this guy. And it's not, it's not going to be that long before you talk about him being in the conversation with the elite young stars, be it, Juan Soto, Vlad Guerrero Jr., of, as, as you guys are familiar with, um, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna. Like he is, he is going to be knocking on that door, I would think, sooner rather than later. Well, it's interesting, Kevin, because you, you talk about a lot of the great things the Rays have and, and, and a lot of the great young players they have. And it's interesting because I think it's so in many ways, similar to the Blue Jays in a sense, because I feel like the Blue Jays are this really good young team. Now, again, there's a nine-win gap there, but I think when you look at the overall season outcomes for both teams, I think there's so much more that that, that could have been written about either of these clubs. Because on the flip side, you look at the, the Atlanta Braves who just ended up winning the World Series, and this is a team in the Braves that was struggling to get to 500 by August. They weren't even in the same breath in terms of what they were able to produce in terms of the Rays and the Blue Jays. But then once the postseason came around, they just got hot at the right time. So I really do think, again, it goes back to this whole idea, like getting into the postseason is so, so vital 
but then just getting hot at the right time can really, uh, you know, do wonders for a ball club. So I feel like the, the Rays and the Blue Jays have that little bit of similarity where I just think like with, with their, with the respective clubs and just the talent on both rosters, so much more uh, could be written. Certainly. Yeah. And it's going to be, I think the AL East for better or worse is going to be a really, really fun division, a really challenging division over the next couple of years. We know the Yankees are always going to spend and they're going to be after some high price free agents. I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Carlos Correa and pinstripes before long. And then you just see the development of Boba Shed and flag Guerrero jr. And uh, guys like Teoscar Hernandez and, I mean, if you guys bring back um, Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon, I mean, that's it, that offense is no joke. And and it always seemed like a, a battle, a tough test when the Rays and, and the Blue Jays face off. There's always some quirkiness. There's always some some fun, entertaining, lively games. And, and the Blue Jays got hot at the right time. It just they came up a little bit short. And then you look at the Red Sox, too, with the leadership of Heim Bloom, they're going to I. I did not expect them to be as good as they were this year. So, and and I think their trajectory is just going to continue to be up. So I, I would not be surprised if next year is another season where you have, you know, four teams that are are fighting for 90 plus wins and it could come down to the last week, week and a half of the season to determine who makes the playoffs and who doesn't make the playoffs. And, you know, the, the Orioles are, you know, I think for the next little bit going to be the laughing stock of the league, but they also are uh, really, leaning into this slow rebuild and, and before long, they're going to have guys like Adley Rushman and Grayson Rodriguez, and they're going to be, they're going to be better than uh, I mean, they can't be much worse than they have been already. So they're going to maybe, you know, a wrench in the conversation as well, but it's so funny how we talk about, you know, the blue Jays or the, uh, the, the Braves winning the world series and, and, I joke that, you know, maybe this coming year or next year, the, the race should you know, win 85, 87 games and, and uh, you know, get into the wild card. And, and maybe that'll propel them <laughs> deep into the playoffs because it, it seems like so often there's there's been so many teams that have, you know, like, well, how did this team in the World Series? Like you look at the Nationals, you look at the Cardinals from what, 15 years ago or however long it was. And and it, it was just the Braves right time. So if if. It, it really just goes to show you that sometimes it's not the the best well-rounded team that that wins it all. It's like you said, Lucas, the team that that is hot and, and has some momentum and uh, has has a little has a little magic. And, and the Braves certainly had that this season. Kevin, you described facing the Jays as being a tough test, a battle, fun and entertaining entertaining, quirky. I've got to say, from the perspective of a lot of Jays fans, facing the Rays, particularly if the Jays are going into the trop, is is a nightmare. It's like things that happen against the Rays almost serve as nightmare fuel for, for Blue Jays fans. I'm curious, you know, how Rays fans view the rivalry with the Jays. And I'm also, you know, let's just get at that quirkiness from this season, sort of what the conversation is surrounding card gate. <laughs> oh, good question. Very good question. Uh, well, I think there's a little bit of maybe growing animosity between uh, the Rays and Blue Jays a little bit, because 
there is so much talk about the Rays maybe splitting future seasons in Canada. And then you had the whole thing where the Blue Jays were playing their first month, first couple months of the season in Dunedin. So it was a very interesting dynamic from that perspective. But um, I will say this as far as, you know, when teams come into the trop and how it creates a lot of headaches for opposing teams. And I guess it's a little bit easier for AL East foes because they do know that year in and year out, they're going to have to play in, in the, uh, in the warehouse 19 times a year at least, but it, it just goes to the fact of, um, man, it's tough to see a fly ball. Sometimes you have the catwalks, the infields are fast. You have, it's, it's play and it, it might be, described as the best home field advantage in baseball or the best home field advantage in sports. So um, that that's something that it's so funny because when opposing teams, especially national league teams come in that aren't familiar with the terrain and the territory of the trop, it, it it's like um, it's like a circus. You cue the, the circus noise because there's so many mistakes and errors that are made because what you see a lot of times is you see a um, maybe a, a bouncing ball in the outfield uh, or, or a short hopper. And it just bounces over the head of the outfielder because they don't realize that when it hits the artificial turf like that, it just goes flying. And sometimes it'll turn what would be, you know, a single into a triple because it gets past that defender. So there's so many little quirks and things like that, that come into play and, and work to the advantage of the Rays because it's, it's their home ballpark. They know how to play the dimensions and play it to their strengths. But um, as far as card gates, Oh man, I, I I don't know where to, I, I thought that was over and done with, but I guess that might be a recurring theme. Um, wow. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think there's some homerism from Rays fans that they kind of defended what Kevin Kiermeyer did. And the argument around these parts is, well, Alejandro Kirk should have, if that card is that important, you need to make sure that that isn't going anywhere. And if you do lose it, um, make sure you can collect it real quickly. Don't let that, don't let that thing hit the ground. Don't let, don't make, make sure, make it like a keys wallet phone situation. You don't let that out of your sight. You always have it with you. And um, I think that's kind of the the perspective that Rays fans took. Yeah, it was. And I think it was more of, uh, they looked at it as gamesmanship compared to outright cheating. I don't know how uh, Blue Jays Nation takes it. I, I would think they take it a little bit differently, but that's kind of what the um, what the opinion was here in Tampa Bay, I would say. Well, I would say just to jump in, and Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I would argue that now the rivalry is ramped up even more because of yeah, card game. I would agree. And I think whenever that first series is between Toronto and Tampa Bay next season, I think it's going to be fun. Like, I think this is, you know, this is going to be the rivalry of the AL East. I know that, you know, Boston, New York are a lot closer, but just the the trajectory of both clubs in Tampa and Toronto, it it just feels like this is going to be the rivalry. And, And look, I think, what you know, what Kiermeyer did, what Kirk did, and all that, and, and the fallout. I think it just adds to, I guess, the potential animosity. I think for for fans, for media, for people covering both teams, it, it's going to create some great theater. 
Oh, absolutely. And that just means that the Rays, I guess, have another target on their back because (laughs) the Yankees don't really care for them. The Red Sox don't really care for them. And now the Blue Jays uh, evidently don't really care for them. And it was funny because there were so many, I mean, players and fans alike uh, connected with the Tampa Bay Rays that said, we want to face the Blue Jays in the playoffs after the whole card gate situation. And then after Kevin Kiermaier got beamed at the end of that ball game there. So there is, I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised. And especially after Charlie Montoyo said it was water under the bridge or however he said it, Agua under the bridge, I guess. And apparently it wasn't, or the, the, the team, the pitching coach, uh, the individual pitcher went against uh, Montoyo's, rhetoric there. So there is going to be some, and that's, you know, it's, it's good for baseball. It's good to have some, some heated rivalries, some back and forth. It's, you know, it's, it's great that these guys get along and they, they train and work out together in the off season and they share agents, but it's part of the theater. It's, it's part of why we enjoy sports is because of um, the, the heated rivalry and, and the tense moments. I mean, you don't want to see anybody, you know, getting thrown you know, a 95, 97 mile an hour fastball thrown to their back. You know, I think takes it a little bit far, but if you just, if you have a way to amp up the competition and in the fierceness level a little bit, uh, it makes it all the more fun. And, and you know what? I think the Rays and the Blue Jays with, with all the young talent that they have, the budding talent that they have, it's in, 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 the, the power hitters that they have. It, it's just uh, going to be, a, I think, a real, real fun back and forth over the next couple of years for sure. And, and, you know, there's also the kind of added tie-in of the Blue Jays. I know historically they've, and I don't know how much it, it translates to, to folks here in, in the Tampa Bay area, but they have for a long time targeted, scouted, and drafted Tampa Bay area players. And, and we see that with guys like Bo Bichette and Nate Pearson, and there's been so many others as well. So that just kind of adds another little wrinkle um, to, to the budding rivalry, I guess you could say. Kevin Weiss of the Locked On Rays podcast. This is the Locked On Blue Jays podcast crossover edition. We'll be back to chat more Blue Jays and Rays in just a moment. But first, let's check in with our friends at Built Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats and plenty of them. But maybe you want a yummy dessert, but isn't so full of calories and sugar. Well, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and you'll feel really good about it. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar. Or go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, and high pro- protein. Built Bar is definitely an option of choice. Now, how do you get Built Bar? Well, you go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. Support for this podcast comes from Loom. Instead of spending your day in back to back meetings, Try a new kind of FaceTime with Loom. You can use it to get a quick recording of your screen and webcam explaining what your team needs to know. Plus, it uploads while you record, so it's ready to share as soon as you're done. A three-minute video might just replace your next 30-minute meeting. Loom. See you at work. Visit Loom.com to try Loom for free. All right, welcome back to this crossover edition of the Lockdown Blue Jays podcast. I'm Lucas Weiss. 
alongside MLB analyst Jen Smith. And we are once again pleased to be joined by Kevin Weiss, the co-host of the Locked On Rays podcast. So, Kevin, off-season time. Obviously, we're, we're underway with the off-season. Qualifying offers have been popping up. Some are, have been offered, some haven't been. I know for the Blue Jays, Jen and I, I mean, the, the, the focus and attention is going to be on Robbie Ray or Marcus Semien or anyone else, perhaps, who, who the Blue Jays look at. But from the perspective of the Rays, because this is a team, again, you, you talked about it in the first block. This is a talented young group. It's a team that just won 100 games, AL East champions, but again, fell short in the postseason. What is sort of the theme, if you will, of this offseason for the Rays? And is there any sort of sense of urgency to sort of stay up there and competitive? Because there are teams like the Blue Jays, like the Red Sox and Yankees, that are obviously going to be gunning for the Rays to try to win uh, the AL East next season. Great question. And there's a couple things to unpack. First off, the Rays have a majors mode. Most 19 players eligible for arbitration. And then, of course, they've got uh, another seven free agents or so. So there's a lot of roster decisions to be made. And this is a team that, at least historically, has never said, we're going all in. Where we won 100 games, so let's really... Uh, let's really throw some money at some free agents. Their their modus operandi is just maintain competitive level of play year in and year out. All you always want to get better for sure, but they never, or at least it seems like they've never been pressured. Oh, we have to make a move. This is the time we have to go for it. This is the time to go all in. I mean, really they, they sort of did that a little bit with going after Nelson Cruz, but still it's not, that's not quite the same as, you know, throwing 200, $250 million at a guy or a couple of guys. And, you know, the big question is, is um, which players are they going to trade to, to save some payroll, which players are they going to bring back? Uh, They've got, they've got a talented farm system. They always do. And at some point you've got to make way for, uh, the 40-man roster crunch. You've got to add some guys that are eligible um, or subject to the Rule 5 draft. So that's you know a handful of guys that the Rays have to think about. And then you've got some really good prospects, offensive prospects at least, knocking on the door. But Al Bruhan, Taylor Walls, Josh Lowe. So that brings up the question, uh, is this the time that Kevin Kiermeyer is traded? Is this the time that Tyler Glasnow is traded? given that he's going through Tommy John surgery and the Rays essentially would have to pay him, you know, $6 million to rehab this year. And uh, the Rays are a very uh, cost effective, I think would be the term. One of the terms to use for the Rays, they, uh, they like to pinch their pennies a little bit. So, uh, and those are, those are two pricey players. I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer has been an institution with the Rays organization for so many years now, and he's coming off a really good year, but he also is owed some $12 million and the Rays have a bevy of outfielders already with the likes of Randy Rosarena and Brett Phillips and Manny Margot, who may or may not be back. And, um, and, and Josh Lowe and Vedal Bruhan on the come up as well. So uh, that is going to be a tough question to see how that plays out in the off season. And then um, 
you know, they, they do have some needs too. They do have some needs. So it, it's just about how they're going to attack those needs. I think that they need some sort of right-handed power bat. I think they probably need another veteran starter back end of the rotation type, sort of what they had this year with Michael Walker and Ryan Yarbrough to uh, help with the development and the progression of guys like Shane McClanahan and Shane Boz and Luis Patino and Drew Rasmussen. Uh, and then I think something that is on a lot of people's wish list is a high leverage reliever closer type, because this is a team that traded away Diego Castillo at the trade deadline. This is a team that uh, found out that Nick Anderson is having another arm elbow procedure and will be out until the all-star break of next season. And there's not a lot of the Rays go through a lot of relievers. They go through a lot of pitchers, but how many of those guys do you trust to come in in a tie ball game in the ninth inning or a one run ball game in the ninth inning? I mean, if there's one, yeah, this team won hundred games, but they also struggled in extra inning games and they also struggled in one run ball games. And um, I think if they can go out and find a way either through trade or free agency to add a, a closer type high leverage reliever, I think that's going to be really, really important. I hear that Josh Hader's on the trade market. Craig Kimbrell is on the trade market. In fact, the Rays kind of tried to come up with a creative deal to acquire Craig Kimbrell at the trade deadline that would have involved a combination of Kevin Kiermeyer and Tyler Glasnow. So those conversations are being had. Uh, a guy we've talked about on the podcast, Rizel Iglesias, that could be a guy that could fit into the fold. It's just the, the Rays are a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting when they have that, that big name closer, if you will, be it Rafael Soriano or, uh, or Fernando Rodney, Emilio Pagan, you, you know, so many names over the years, but I think that is going to be a really, really big key going forward because there's just, it's tough to trust Pete Fairbanks to step into that role. It's, it's tough to trust JT Chagua to, to step into that role. Andrew Kittredge, maybe on occasion, but is there a guy that is, has been comfortable with that role and that scenario year in and year out? And I don't know if the race have that guy. So there are a couple needs here and there that they're looking to fill. But again, this is a team that um, I, I don't expect them to have a payroll of 80, 85, $90 million. They're, con- they're going to continue to, um, to, to sell off assets that get to free agency or, or their second or third year of arbitration and, and just promote from within. So uh, there's going to be a lot, a lot of movement uh, with the team this off season, I would expect. It's interesting you meet, mentioned the need for a right-handed power bat because that's the one area where the Jays are not lacking for sure. Um, I wanted to go back to you mentioning the financial realities of the Rays and ask you about the, you know, the proposal for the Rays to split time between Tampa Bay and Montreal. So as we know, you know, Tropicana Field, the lease is up in uh, 2027. There is a search for a new site potentially to build a new stadium. Uh, splitting time in Montreal might make running the team more financially feasible. And of course, this has garnered a lot of interest here, you know, in Canada. Uh, there's lots of Expos fans. I'm wondering what is the latest information uh, regarding this situation as you understand it right now? 
Yeah, that's another good question, Jen. And this is something that uh, it's the saga of uh, the stadium stadium situation. And it's been going on for years now, and it's going to continue to uh, progress for the next couple of years. But there's a couple of interesting wrinkles that have recently happened. One, uh, St. Petersburg just elected a new mayor in Ken Welch, which means that Rick Kreisman, who has been very much at odds with the race front office and organization and ownership at times, he is on the out. So maybe uh, the new mayor can rekindle talks and, and have more of positive uh, and, and fostering conversations with the Rays. Um, now, also, the Rays have been honing in and looking at a site outside St. Petersburg in Ybor City, and they seem to be building some momentum there of building a stadium in Hillsborough County as opposed to Pinellas County. Uh, now, what this does for the split city proposal and scenario, uh, it's still very much up in the air. The Rays are continuing to double down, triple down, quadruple down that they say that this is the reality. This is the way it's going to be. And we've seen some of the politicians and some of the elected leaders uh, city council, county commissioners that have warmed up to the idea of saying, you know what, it's it's better to have a team for half a season than no team at all. But uh, I I don't know if that I don't know where that conversation is going to go and and how things will change in the coming years. But it does seem like um, and. It's funny because a lot of people, a lot of people still think this is just a ploy. This is just a ploy for the Rays to get a fully funded new stadium, fully paid by taxpayer dollars somewhere, whether it's in the Tampa Bay area, whether it's in Montreal, or whether it's in Nashville or Charlotte or pick a city. Uh, And there's so many people out there that have, come out against this plan, particularly uh, I, I don't see how the players association would, would be warmed up to the idea. And we've here, we, we've heard some of the the negative conversations from players about that idea, but um, as of right now, there's not, you know, it, it's, it's still a lot of talk. It's still a lot of talk and they still have quite a bit of time, uh, I guess you could say, but that that's kind of the latest is, It'll be interesting to see what happens with how the new leadership of the mayor changes things. And if this site in Ybor City builds up some steam. No, that's very interesting there, Kevin. A lot of interesting insight because I know that in in the case here in Canada with Montreal, I mean, you know, there there's certainly – a lot of momentum there. I mean, and, and, and some people think, you know, people that, you know, are pretty well in tune with the situation think that look, a stadium, a new stadium is going to be built in Montreal, um, you know, along the waterfront. So it'll be, it is going to be fascinating for sure. And, you know, and, and, and we'll see it that um, unfold, but certainly that uh, those little wrinkles make it a very interesting conversation. Kevin, we don't have much time, but I wanted to ask you before we, we let you go. Um, obviously, so early in the off season, but when when you look at this team going forward and going into twenty twenty two, 
Are you thinking, you know, similar amount of wins? You think you may be over hundred at hundred and um, less than a hundred. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on this team heading into 2022? Yeah. Good question there. It's um, man. It's so tough to win a hundred games, especially in that division. And I guess I would have to take a closer look and see what uh, the schedule and strength of schedule, how that all plays into the fold. But uh, if I was a betting man, I would definitely say under a hundred regular season games. I would think, you know, a window of maybe 92 to 97 wins. Uh, I just think with, you know, the, the Blue Jays kind of continuing to to be really good and and fully expect the, the Yankees to improve and the Red Sox to improve. And, you know, even the, I mean, the Rays did, they went, I think, 18 and one against the Baltimore Orioles. Like, yeah, I know the Orioles are bad, but you you don't really fully expect a team to go 18 and one against another team in their division. So I would expect, you know, a couple more L's against the, the Orioles next season, as you would think they would be a little bit better, but I think definitely, you know, 92, 97 wins uh, and, and a division title is very much in play. Uh, you know, a lot of it really kind of depends on, um, you know, we've talked about the offense quite a bit and, uh, and some of the, the, the bullpen, I don't want to say issues, but, but things to sort out with that. And it's really about what steps do these young arms take? Does Shane McClanahan take the next step? How much are they going to let Shane Boz, who very well could be an ace in the making uh, with, with the arsenal that he has? Uh, can Rasmussen be develop a third pitch? Is he is really a legit starter? Is Luis Patino at the tender age of 21 years old? Is he ready to take the next step? Um, can can Yarbrough have a, a bounce back season? Uh, where are they going to get the rest of those innings from? So, uh, you know, the, the Rays did something very interesting this past year where they they signed a bunch of veteran pitchers and said, uh, hopefully, you know, a couple of these guys work out. You know, they, they signed Rich Hill, they signed Colin McHugh, they signed Chris Archer, uh, they signed Michael Walker, and, you know, basically just a couple of those guys worked out. So I think they could do something similar where they just kind of, hey, we're going to sign four or five uh, veteran starting pitchers for a total amount of like 15, $16 million. And, and hopefully, you know, a guy, guy comes through and can give, give us 120, 150 innings, uh, or at least help us as, as a bulk inning guy, something like that. And, and try to find a way to make it work because that, that's really the big thing is, you know, going from 60 to 162, uh, can you get enough pitching? And, and even this next year going from, staying at, you know, 162, assuming that the CBA keeps the games at 162 games that um, continuing to find pitch because you got to have guys that can pitch innings. And, and if the extra inning rule goes away, that could mean uh, even more of a tax on arms. So finding a way to who's going to pitch every day, how are we going to be able to get through these games and, and be able to, to pull out close victories uh, that, that that's going to be a big question going forward for the race. Well, Kevin, we have really enjoyed your your insight, your perspective on the Tampa Bay Rays. And this is not going to be the first time that we do a crossover episode, I'm sure, given this budding rivalry that, that, that is developing before our very eyes between the Blue Jays and the Rays. Before we let you go, Kevin, where can people find you on Twitter? 
Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Kevin Weiss underscore on Twitter and uh, Locked on Rays as well as our uh, podcast Twitter account. Yes, that is the co-host of the Locked on Rays podcast, Kevin Weiss. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Locked on Blue Jays. Of course, I'm Lucas Weiss. You can find me at We Sports. Jen, where can people find you very quickly before we wrap it up? Yep, just once again, thank you to Kevin for joining us. Um, folks, you can find me on Twitter at baseball underscore Jen, and that is Jen with two N's. Amazing, yes. And of course, thank you so much for making Locked on Blue Jays your first listen every day again. Stay tuned for more great episodes from Jen and myself. We're going to be doing a lot more deep dive on the offseason, including, of course, trade targets, pitchers, and, and, for, and hitters. You name it, we will bring you the off-season coverage. Now make your second listen of the day, Locked on MLB Prospects. Host Aram Layton is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available on all platforms. Locked on Blue Jays is also free and available on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. All right, everyone, for this episode of Locked on Blue Jays, I'm your co-host, Lucas Weiss. We'll chat again soon. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.